Today, we chat to a diplomat of the state of Palestine who is stationed here in Poland. Welcome, Ms. Jadala. I'm very honored to have you as a guest. Thank you very much for having me, Anthony. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Lovely, yes. Uh, so history is a long series of mostly disappointing events. In short, can you explain how Palestinians come to find themselves dispossessed in their very own homelands? Oh, this is very challenging to say in short about, you know, a tale that is happening since 70 years old. However, indeed, what is happening nowadays in Palestine is not something new that Palestinians are experiencing. We've been experiencing that since 1948. Actually, even before, because in 1917, there was a Balfour Declaration, which is done by uh, the uh, UK British uh, Prime Minister, who promised Palestine as land for Jews. And then everything, you know, started to escalate. In 1948, the Zionist militias, uh, they actually uh, took over 78% of the historical Palestine. And then because of that, of course, thousands have been displaced and thousands have been killed. Then in 1967, also this, um, let's say, um, uh, Systematic aggression also uh, was continued, and even the Israelis they took more they took more twenty two percent of the lands. So basically, this is nothing new, and this is something that we've been experiencing. You can say even since nineteen seventeen, and actually after uh, that, what happened in nineteen sixty seven? There was the first uprising, which we called the Intifada, that happened in nineteen eighty seven, and there was also the second Intifada. And with each, you know, uprising or trial for Palestinian peoples to take back their rights, there were more you know, aggressive, uh, aggressive uh, reacts by uh, the Israelis by even taking and killing more uh, Palestinians and taking more lands. Roughly how many Palestinians are there in the occupied territories today and how many Palestinians are there in the diaspora? You can say that in the occupied territory on the or uh, in Palestine nowadays, there is around five million, five millions two hundred thousands. Three million of them are living in the West Bank, and uh, almost two millions are in Gaza Strip. And as you know, Gaza Strip is known as the biggest or the largest open air uh, prison because you know. The Israelis, they uh, renounced responsibility for the lives and the welfare of the residents of Gaza there, and they re just besieged them. As for the diaspora, we have like around, you know, there is no, unfortunately, there is no, uh, until now, you know, uh, a very systematic documentation about, you know, the, the sons and the grandsons of the Palestinians who were evicted back in 1948, 1967 and afterwards, but it's roughly around seven, 7 million Palestinian outside Palestine, and some people, they say even 10 million. So that certainly consists of a nation, certainly. Of course. <laughs> Can you tell us how long has the Palestinian state had a mission here in Poland? 
Sure, you know, uh, the first uh, representative office of the Palestinian Liberation Organization was, you know, um, established in Poland in 1976. However, then the diplomatic relations were even more flourished and there were more uh, exchange. So because of that, in 1982, the Polish government, they granted the Palestinian uh, representative a like the, the title of the embassy, and they gave also the ambassador the uh, or the head of mission the title of an ambassador. So you can say that it goes back till 1976. And also, you know, uh, before actually, the uh, or during the British mandate of uh, in Palestine, uh, there was like an opening or there was an official or, or an office of the uh, first uh, Polish uh, general consul in Palestine. It was, I think, in 1914. So you can say that the relations, you know, are really um, old. And uh, this is something we are very proud of. However, we took like the name of the embassy uh, in 1982. Most nations like understand that Palestine is a nation. They declare it to be a nation state. Uh, yet, why do some countries still deny the legal status of the Palestinian state? Well, this is a question I really don't know the answer of, because this is the responsibility of those nations. However, until now, you can say that there is a recognition or bilateral recognition between Palestine and other states of 139 states. Uh, this recognition was made either in when Palestinians declared the uh, independence in Algeria in 1988, and others actually they recognized it after what uh, when the UN uh, Gen General Assembly they declared Palestine as an observer non-member state. Recognition of the Palestinian state is consistent with the international concepts and the international law. And it actually, it achieves the two-state solution that is everyone is aspiring for, especially, you know, EU countries and other countries and the current American administration, as a matter of fact. So because of that, you know, why? I don't know. What is our, you know, obligation and what we are doing is that we are working on that every day because we know that by having and by getting this recognition, we can even more and more force Israel to end its occupation for uh, the Palestinian land. America certainly interferes greatly in the affairs of other nations. For example, just yesterday in Poland, in an act of moral subversion and provocation, American embassies flew anti-natal flags at their embassies in Catholic Poland. How does American foreign policy affect the Palestinians? I would say that for decades, uh, the United States had led international efforts to, uh, you know, advance or, or a solution to the conflict you know, that offers both Israelis and Palestinians dignity, security, and self-determination. However, with the shifts in the, you know, American uh, or the American administrations, this is something tricky a bit because, you know, whenever there's a new president or new administration, they want to implement new stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, the Palestinians, let's say, are the losing party because we know the that, you know, the unlimited and unconditional support to Israel. So because of that, I would say that, you know, the American administrations really, they played a huge role. 
like some of you know milestones in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict was done under the sponsorship of the Americans, let's say like the Oslo Accords that gave actually the Palestinian Authority the right to come back to Palestine. I would say that it is very tricky and it's according to the American administrations. However, as we as Palestinians, we're really committed to work with the, the United States uh, in order to achieve a lasting solution based on the two-state solution on the 1967 borders. Trump was the most pro-Jewish, pro-Zionist president probably in American history. Trump took huge steps in supporting Israel. Can you name some of the things the Trump administration did to undermine the political will of the Palestinians? Sure, sure. You know, it's it's still really hurt for all Palestinians what uh, the previous President Trump did to Palestinians and to the Palestinian cause, because he really like whatever work was done in order to find a solution, he destroyed it by what happened with his administration and his advisors, such as Kushner. Actually, they started with this, you know, very uh, shiny slogan, the deal of the century, which yes. is a deal that will end, you know, that will end everything and will bring, you know, prosperity to Palestinians and Palestinians will live uh, under free conditions and, uh, you know, the, 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 the world will Thing will turn pink uh, in all of a sudden. However, this did not happen because the deal of the century was not based on the international consensus, which is the mm. two-state solution. They wanted to create, you know, their kind of, you know, shattered Swiss cheese uh, lands for Palestinians and, you know, the biggest amount of land with with the really vital, you know, resources are for is for Israelis. So this is what they started to to announce this deal of the century, and they did actually want, uh, a lot of uh, you know uh, conference in order to reach it. One of them was actually Warsaw conference or Warsaw summit that happened in two thousand nineteen. Yes. So the thing is also then they started to say. Well, settlements are not illegal. Settlements are legal. And those settlers in the settlements should be recognized as Israeli citizens. This is one of the things that they wanted actually to show, to say that the annexation of the settlements to Israel, this is something to totally legal, the United States supported. Then actually they said, why Palestinians, they have, a, you know, an office or let's say a mission or a representative office, a representation office in uh, Washington. Let's close it. And they did. They closed the BLO uh, representative office in Washington. And they even declared our ambassador in one night as persona non grata, which means that he had to leave the country. And actually, I still I still remember the, the you know, the what our ambassador uh, used to say that he did not know actually what to do. He just wanted like what to cancel his kids from the schools, what to do exactly in one night to leave your, the place you're living in. And then they said, we will move our embassy in a sheer violation for international law and for the UN decisions, say, you know, the Security Council or the General Assembly. They said that we will move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And they actually started to encourage more countries by blackmailing them in order to, you know, move their embassies to. So they got the Golan Heights, the Syrian Golan yes. Heights to Israel yes. as a gift. It was right. just a signature 
occupied by Trump. And then, of course, on the top of that, they declared Jerusalem as the, the united Jerusalem, as the Jewish capital for the Jewish state, Israel. So all of these violations, really, they, they were just, you know, every day, they were just making Palestinians losing hope in any kind of solution. And they just made us feel that we are, you know, alone. Because also there were like a lot of condemnations from a lot of countries in the UN and a lot of people, they were telling us, they were visiting us and telling us, we know this is against international law. However, there was no tangible act. So because of that, you know, Trump administration really it did clear violations toward, this, uh, toward Palestinians. And this is something I think we really have to have a lot of time in order to build on and in order to try to change or to try to find a common compromise after what they did. Yes, I know America positions itself as like the global enforcer of democracy. But you take, for example, the shutting down of the official uh, Palestinian mission in America. Uh, how can you claim to be for democratic rights when you're actually shutting down dialogue, official dialogue between the two parties who are warring? It, it makes exactly. absolutely no sense. And I also recognize that um, when the Palestinian mission was shut down, I never saw a word of it in the news. The way that I found out about the shutting down of the Palestinian mission was through listening to a dissident podcast. So, um, it, yeah, yeah it, it was unbelievable, you know, whenever you feel that there is no hope and there is, you know, this, you know, administration is was trying to wipe us out. However, you see other voices coming from the United States itself, like we have there or you can see even like this Facebook page and this movement. It's called Jewish Voice for Peace. Those people are Jews and they're actually just trying to show other the Americans there the reality of the Zionist regime of Israel so this is amazing because such you know whenever you're trying to you know suppress a lot of voices you will find other voices who will take you know the uh, flag and who will speak up uh, you know uh, for Palestinians and for the just cause do Palestinians expect anything different from Biden's administration, especially when a lot of the biggest donors to both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are billionaire Jews and Zionists? The Biden administration is very new. However, we are really looking forward to work with them. Actually, only yesterday, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, was in meetings with my president, with my prime minister, with my foreign minister, because they're trying, you know, to find a solution. And they're trying all the time. Actually, they're not trying. They said it bluntly that they are with the two-state solution, which is, you know, the total opposite of the previous administration. So this is give us, you know... A, hope and this is gives us you know let's say the goodwill in order to coordinate with this current administration in order to find a solution maybe this administration will be you know the one who will find and who will force the israelis for such a solution and actually they they pledged to restore their funds to onra onra is the un you know the united nations uh, relief and work agency for palestinian refugees and it's a big deal i would say because me myself i studied in onra schools when i was uh -huh. a kid because i was also born in a refugee camp in jordan 
So the thing is like, this is a big deal. This is something that we really, you know, admire that when a lot of countries, they, 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 they send, you know, funds to UNRWA because this is like for a lot of people, it's, it's the only way to find education or to find work. However, humanitarian, you know, aid is not the answer at the end of the day. We need political action. And this is what we are waiting from the current American administration. Yes, yeah, so there was a reversal here with Biden's administration. Yes, uh, Trump uh, shut down the funding and uh, Biden has uh, reestablished funding. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This was one of the bad things Trump did. <laughs> In the background of our actual picture, there is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Can you tell us about the recent Israeli and Jewish provocations in this holy Islamic site? Yes, I would start actually by saying that the recent escalation calls to mind, you know, Ariel Sharon provocative visit to Al-Aqsa Mosque compound yes. in 2000. This is actually was the, the, the spark that started the second intifada in 2000 when he just in, a, you know, in, in arrogance, he entered the mosque with uh, Israeli uh, army forces. So the thing is what's happening in Al-Aqsa, I would say that it is started when Netanyahu started to, to realize his failure to form a new government. He deliberately began a campaign to fuel tensions and encourage racist attacks. His political allies from religious Zionist parties and supporters of the exploitation of the Palestinian people have played also a prominent role. The first significant step it was a series of Israeli provocations that took place on first days of the holy month of Ramadan, which is the fasting month for Muslims. And it's a very, you know, holy you know, a month that people, they go to mosque and they fast, they don't eat, they don't drink and they pray for God. So when you start a provocation inside the Al-Aqsa mosque, this is something, you know, very, very, it's, it's just very arrogant and it's a sheer violence actually of this for worshiping place. So this is how it starts. And then the occupying forces, they start to put, you know, these metal barriers uh, to ban people to enter the compound of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And uh, actually they ban them even to enter the plaza of the Damascus Mosque, which is one, uh, the, the Damascus Gate, which is one of the gates of the mosque. And they try, they started to actually fire uh, live bullets and rubber bullets toward the worshippers. So the worshippers at some point, they did not find any, you know, way of answering that other than, you know, throwing some stones over them. And uh, actually, there was another thing that uh, that ignited the, 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 the thing more and more, or the, uh, the escalations in Jerusalem, that in 22nd of April, hundreds of religious Zionists chanted deaths for Arab, and they even had a big, you know, slogan. Uh, oh, video, yeah. I saw that yeah, video. And it was in the occupied, you know, Jerusalem. And it was a coordinated demonstration with the Israeli police uh, because police actually were just, you know, covering for them and they were protecting them. So, you know, the Israeli aggressions, they were all over this month. And it was the most, let's see, sheer one was during Laylat al-Qadr, which is one of the holiest nights in uh, this month, the holy month of Ramadan. So people also, they felt that 
you know, there is nothing, nothing left for them. Even prayers and worships are being, you know, uh, violated in such a way. So this is what happened actually in Al-Aqsa Mosque. And what is happening all the time in Al-Aqsa Mosque, but this time, you know, I was very happy that there was a lot of media attention and that was what was, you know, brought a lot of uh, solidarity from abroad for Palestinians. Yeah, when I try to analyze the world, I'm more interested in like uh, the power behind actions. And uh, of course, that's one way to understand the world. But there's also like, for example, the theological understanding. Um, do you know anything about like the theological motivations behind attacking El Aqsa Mosque? Because um, I believe that uh, some particular part of the Jewish population actually want to take it to as their it, own. To brought it down, yes. To, to blow actually, it up and set up a temple, basically. Yes, yes. yes. This is like for, for some people or for some religious aspects in, in the Jewish society, they think that there is like the Temple Mount, uh, which is under Al-Aqsa Mosque. So for them, they were just calling death for Arabs and they were calling even to destroy Al-Aqsa Mosque to build again the Temple Mount for according to the Torah. Now, there are certainly some parallels to the treatment uh, Poland gets and Palestine gets by um, a certain group of Jews. A Jewish lobby in America were successful at creating a bill and getting it signed into law by Trump. This scandal is commonly known as the S-447 law. It requires Poland to pay out billions of dollars to Jewish NGOs on properties of Jews who died or disappeared without heirs to inherit their property during the Second World War. This is not how European inheritance law works. In fact, it is a mockery of European notions of justice. In Poland, these laws are largely seen as an attempt by a Jewish lobby to steal Polish property. In Palestine, the theft of land and housing is much more brutal than this attempted S447 scam. Can you tell us about the continued development of Jewish settlements in Palestine and the Sheikh Jarrah evictions in Jerusalem? Yes, of course. Well, let's start by saying or by stating at the beginning that the imminent threat of forcible transfer is a war crime under the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court and the grave breach of the Fourth Geneva Convention. And this is something that, you know, Israel is continuing to threaten Palestinians in Silwan and in Sheikh Jarrah and in so many other neighborhoods in occupied uh, East Jerusalem. You know, the Israeli policy of forced eviction or of forced displacement is an attempt to change the demographic and geographic nature of the holy city of Jerusalem. So this is not, you know, something that comes, you know, out of blue. It is something systematic because there is, it's really, there is, you know, this demographic game is since a lot of time in Jerusalem. I would like tell you more, maybe because a lot of people, they, they hear about Sheikh Jarrah, but they don't know what is it. First of all, the name of the neighborhood is Arabic, Sheikh Jarrah which is actually, it goes and it refers to a personal physician of the Islamic general uh, who was called Salahuddin and who believed to have settled in this part of Jerusalem in 1187. So the thing is like those people, 
actually in Sheikh Jarrah and who's facing these eminent displacements, this is for them is not the first time because those people are actually, there were refugees from the 19, for, uh, the 1948 war, which is an nakbe for Palestinian or in Arabic, which is the translation is the catastrophe for us. So the thing is like those Palestinian or those 28 families back in 1956, they settled in the neighborhood and they were actually of a wider population of 700,000 uh, who forcibly expelled by Zionist militias during the 1948 war, known to Palestinians, as we said, as a Nakba or the catastrophe. In East Jerusalem at that time was administrated by the Hashemite Kingdom, which is the Jordanian Kingdom. And uh, it was cover governing the West Bank at that time. And they had built houses for those uh, 28 uh, Palestinian families in 1956 with the approval of the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, UNRWA. So what happened that in the 1960s, the families, they agreed in a deal with the Hashemite kingdom that we will take, you know, that the kingdom will give them the ownership of the land while those people, they will renounce their refugee status. So they will not be refugees anymore because they will, found, they will give them the lands and they will give them the houses. But what happened after that, that in 1967, there was a war where Israel took over the whole West Bank and they changed a lot of facts on the ground. And those people, they did not have, you know, these uh, contracts uh, yet. So because of that, Currently, there are 38 Palestinian families living in Sheikh Jarrah, and four of them are facing the imminent eviction, while another three, they're waiting for a court, Israeli court decision in 1st of August 2021. So this is it. Like Those people are just facing an endless amount of systematic forcibly displacements and evictions from their houses. And really, because of that, as you see, they feel they will not do that anymore. Because of that, all the people there are really like grabbing the houses and will not move until maybe they will be, you know, killed live on air because they will not move. Basically, this is, this is the message that the Israelis has to know. Those people will not move. And other people in Palestine, they're fed up and they will not move too. The number of Palestinians in Jerusalem is continuing to go down, yes, uh, when it comes to home ownership, whereas like the Jewish ownership keeps on rising in Jerusalem. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And actually, the thing like a lot of people, they don't move, but some people, they did not have any other chance because the Israeli army, they just took them out of their, uh, you know, houses and they just bombed the house in one, in 10 minutes. So they did not even have any way back to go there. And the thing is like what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah and what's happening as the Israelis call it the greater Jerusalem is a great plan because it's a, it's a plan that they wanted to uh, connect Jerusalem to the biggest, you know, uh, settlements around Jerusalem in a kind of plan they call it E1. So because of that, they just want to take these people, Palestinians people, out of their way in order to do their greater plan, which is the greater Jerusalem. There are millions of Arabs, Muslims, and even Christians around the world uh, who support the Palestinians, yet their leaders don't seem very passionate about the Palestinians. Do you, Palestinians feel that they have somewhat been abandoned by some of their closest neighbors? I'm specifically thinking of the Gulf states. 
No, I don't think that at all. Because, you know, look at the what happened uh, uh, during this current uh, aggression or Israeli aggression. A lot of government and people from Kuwait, from Oman, from Bahrain, from Saudi Arabia, they were just Backing Palestinians, demonstrations were demonstrations were on streets, just chanting for Palestine and the freedom of Palestine. Also, all the government systems, giving like government or kings or princes, they were all with Palestine, and we are our, we are all under the same umbrella, which is the Arab League, and we are still believing that uh, you know with Arab brothers. We, we can even do a lot, trying to convince or trying to pressure, actually, a lot of parties in the UN and in the EU in order to end occupation and to gain the unalienable Palestinian rights or human rights of Palestinians. You mentioned Jared Kushner and the greatest plan of the century, the greatest deal of the century, uh, and uh, it ended up with some uh, Arab states signing normalization agreements with Israel. Lots of people just looking from the outside uh, seem to think that um, these states have been paid off by America or they've had some sort of deal. Do you think that has affected uh, solidarity among Arabs? I'm not speaking about individuals or people in the Arab world. I'm specifically speaking about the leaderships. Yeah, at some point it really it was really a surprise uh, for a, for Palestinian government what happened. However, we knew that uh, how the pressures and, you know, the amount of pressure that the American administration was exercising over the regimes in those countries. And because of that, you know, we know what happened. At the same time, every and each, um, you know, government uh, of those countries who, who signed the deal, they were telling that we are with the two-state solution, and uh, we are with the Palestinian rights. However, we felt a bit betrayed because there was an initiative. It was called the Arab League Initiative. It was agreed in 2002 that no country, no Arab country, will have a normalization of ties with Israel until the ending of occupation and the freedom of Palestine. So that was the issue. How has the media generally treated the Palestinian question in Poland? Well, I would say that it was in a very objective manner uh, and, you know, and the professional one, because we had so we had so many requests for interviews and for articles and uh, we were doing our part. We are we were saying our part of story, knowing that also that the Israeli bar, uh, side was doing their part. However, generally speaking, we saw them. They were covering all the solidarity acts. They were covering all the protests all over all the protests all over Poland because there were so many protests in uh, Warsaw, in Gdansk, in uh, uh, Bosnian, in Krakow, and so uh, and other uh, cities in Poland. They were covering it. They were just showing people how much people in Poland are standing in solidarity with Palestinian. So I would say that the media in Poland they helped us actually in order to uh, put our uh, narrative and to show the real thing that is happening in Palestine, especially the aggression uh, on Gaza Strip. 
I've many times read and heard phrases such as uh, "there is no such thing as Palestinian people." Uh, can you tell us about it? Uh, exactly? It's it's laughable. Um, it's such a ridiculous notion. Um, yeah. So I, I'm speaking to a Palestinian right now. Okay. Um, yeah. How come? Uh, so, uh, what are some of the biggest misconceptions and outright lies peddled regarding the Palestinians? You know, there was like this between the 19th to 20th uh, century, there was this famous uh, saying that uh, Palestine is a land without a people and it was given for a people without a land who are the, the Israelis. So the thing is like, this is also one of, you know, the misconception that is always was said about uh, Palestinians. However, they were surprised, I guess, that they went and they found Palestinians. So what we had to do with them, we displaced them or we killed them. And because of that, there was a lot of massacres during 1948 between, to 1967. And, you know, the, the displacements of Palestinian back then. But however, people, Palestinian people do not exist. This is like, I don't know, like I really heard it too. So whenever someone was telling me that, because once I still remember we had like a stand in solidarity in the old town of Warsaw, it was a cultural band who were doing the Palestinian uh, national dance. It's called Dabke. And we had the flags of Palestine. And there was uh, a lady who came to me and told me, Ballstone doesn't exist. I told her, so are you talking, are you talking to a ghost? I don't exist. Like, I am a Palestinian. <laughs> I, we do exist. We are Palestinians. My grandfather uh, is Palestinian. My father is Palestinian. Actually, my father was forcibly displaced from our uh, city, Yaffa, in uh, 1948. And because of that, they, they went to Jordan. And because of that, actually, I was born in a refugee uh, camp in Jordan. So this is it. We do exist. But we are unfortunate. <laughs> People like our land. <laughs> they took it and they occupied us. And because of that, we will never lose hope in order to gain our land back. We will do it through our diplomacy. We will do it through our friends all over the world, for, through our supporters. And this is something will happen sooner. Uh, I hope sooner nor than later. I definitely don't want to sound like a CNN drone, but um, one question that they often ask in the interviews is, do Palestinians support the resistance Hamas takes? Oh. And uh, I know that uh, the journalists are always f trying to force uh, Palestinians to give them an answer. Um, yeah. how, would, how would you respond to one of those questions? I would respond exactly as the following, which is, you know, Palestinians are suffering. Palestinians are suffering since so many years under occupation. They suffered loss of people, land, natural resources, and human rights. They suffered a lot. So naturally, whenever you suffer, there will be a reaction. This is something natural. Whenever you are under occupation, there was always, you know, liberation movement. It can be through throwing stones. It can be through strikes through protests through a solidarity stance or through uh, armed struggle well is that legitimate 
Yes, it is, because those people are under occupation. So the question is, is not who support Hamas or who support Fatah. The question is, is who's supporting the occupation and in whose interest that this occupation is there until now? It's 2021 and we are still under occupation since 1948. So it's not about asking about, you know, the reaction. It should be asking about the cause, the root cause of this problem, which is the Israeli occupation. This should be the answer to any question of anyone who will ask about, oh, but how Palestinians are reacting to, to the occupation and to the Israeli uh, aggression. Of course, uh, the Israeli military uh, get a lot of funding by America. They've got some of the latest technology, uh, whereas Hamas only, um, they don't have proper factories to uh, produce rockets, even though they were able to successfully do so. Uh, can you tell us about the extent of the destruction of people's homes and infrastructure in the recent Jewish state's bombing of Palestine? Sure, sure. Actually, there was, uh, I, I, I hope that, they, and I wish they will rest in peace. There was around 277 martyrs. Uh, 70 of them were children. Uh, 40 of them were women and more than 8,500 injuries. There were more than 450 buildings in the Gaza Strip were completely destroyed or damaged by missiles. Among them were six hospitals, nine healthcare centers, and a water uh, desalination plant supplying around 250,000 Palestinians with clean drinking water, as well as a tower which housed media outlets, including Al Jazeera Network and Associated Press. Also, actually, they bombed the one and only COVID lab test in Gaza Strip. So there was a huge loss of people, a huge loss of injuries, and there was a huge loss of a lot, you know, of uh, buildings and very vital buildings. Six hospitals and schools actually were bombed. And this is only in Gaza. Also, there were a lot of uh, aggression acts in the West Bank and in uh, occupied East Jerusalem. Can you maybe tell us about the discontent of uh, Palestinians who are actually living in Israel? Because I saw there was uh, actually almost like civil war within Israel by Jews and Palestinians. Yeah, actually, this uh, leads to another thing, because a lot of people, they're asking, oh, but why don't you live, uh, both of you, in one country? And uh, why you have to call for the two-state solution and everything? Mm. And actually, what's happening to those Palestinians who live inside Israel? This is the answer because mm. there are one point million Palestinians who live inside Israel, which is which constitute twenty percent of the population there, and those people are victims of systemic systematic institutional discrimination with at least sixty five laws that discriminate against them. So imagine being there is always it's a de facto you are a second or third class citizen because you are from Palestinian origin or from Arab origin. And this is actually what is we all known and wild, uh, you know, worldwide known as the apartheid regime. And those people are always under the attack of the right-wing Zionist extremists with the police protection. So those people who are living there, 
and who are actually most of the time neglected and their neighborhoods are neglected and they're not dealt with as the Israelis want. Of course, this is a sample of what will happen, God forbid, if there will be a one uh, state solution. Because, because of that, actually, we are always uh, calling for the two state solution because this is the only way that we will implement it by living side by side, peacefully and respecting each other's. Is it possible in a political framework for both Israel and the Palestinians to agree um, on on the borders? The agreement is already done. You know, the, 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 there was a borders and there was a very fixed borders, which is the 1967 borders. And Palestinians and the Palestinian government, they already agree. Israelis, they agreed back in 1993. However, after that, they had a greater plan, which is building these settlements everywhere, declassifying the Palestinian land or the Palestinian people also into so many classifications. So because of that, we have in the West Bank three classification of land, which is area A, which is under uh, the administration and the poly, you know, the police protection of Palestinians, area C, uh, area, sorry, B, which is, uh, you know, administrative matter is under the Palestinians. However, the security matter is under the Israeli and area C, which is both, uh, you know, the administrative and the security matter as under the Israelis. So we have this classification. Also, we have in the West Bank, you know, or all over Palestine, we have different, even different status of ID, which is the ID is given to us through the Israelis. We have the green ID, which means that you are from West Bank. Blue ID, that means that you are a Jerusalem resident, Palestinian from Jerusalem. And the Gazan people, they have different color of the ID. So we have this kind of regime, which is, you know, very much deeply rooted, that they want in any you know way to end this two-state solution they don't want it they don't like it doesn't serve their interest however the palestinian side is committed and in all you know in all the international arena we are always calling for the two-state solution based on 1967 borders with east jerusalem as the capital of palestine if people in poland or around the world want to help stop the occupation of palestine what course of action can they take today? Of course, sentiment is very easy. Saying that you support the Palestinians is very easy, but actually taking steps today to do something is uh, maybe more complicated, more difficult. Can you tell us what, what should people do? I would say it's not difficult at all. First of all, if you want to do an immediate action is to help in reconstructing Gaza. Gaza is suffering. Gaza is suffering. People there are suffering. They don't have electricity. They don't have water. They don't have any access to any humanitarian aid that arrived to the people of Gaza. However, the other kind of, you know, long term uh, kind of solidarity or kind of act is to support Palestine, to stand in solidarity with Palestine, to talk about Palestine, to have lectures, to have seminars, to have exhibitions. Let Palestine always be the hot topic. Don't forget Palestine. Whenever Palestine is forgotten, you know, the situation will be more tense. People will be more killed there. There will be no ceasefire. There will be no, you know, end of the Israeli aggression toward Palestinians. But when you always speak about Palestine, the Palestine will be there. People will be the guardian of the Palestinian cause. Go there, go to your MBs, go to your governments. You can push them. You are, you have the say. 
speak up, speak up for Palestine. And this is, you know, something is not as never, you know, something small and is never, you know, oh, maybe this is, you know, will not make any difference. No, any action, any act of solidarity really makes a difference and gives Palestinians hope. Mr. Dalla, it was fantastic chatting with you today. Thank you for explaining the Palestinian position to us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, really, it's also very uh, important to reach uh, the expats in Poland and to tell them more in English about our situation. Maybe here also a lot of Polish media that they write in Polish. And it's very nice what you are doing. Thank you very much. It's really appreciated. And uh, thanks to all the audience who will listen to this podcast.